The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, John Ford, and Julia Borston. Today, another volatile week for tech. The latest on big tech shifting landscape. A day after another day in the red and whether it's time now to get defanged. Plus, a firm in Zillow shares headed in opposite directions this morning. Do not miss interviews with the CEOs of both of those names later on this hour. And finally, as you might have noticed, Tech Check is live from Los Angeles this morning ahead of Super Bowl weekend, bringing you the latest from SoFi Stadium. We'll talk about everything from ads to gambling to media rights. A big hour ahead, Dee. Yeah, and Carl, it's great to have you on the West Coast, uh, not far from here. But first, we will begin our feed with the volatility in tech, which has overshadowed some huge shifts in the mega caps. And in the wake of Fang's earnings, really, this new landscape has emerged. Take a look at the top Nasdaq weightings, Meta, formerly known as Facebook, plunging in the wake of its earnings, of course, but also conceding market leadership to Tesla and NVIDIA. Meanwhile, Netflix, the N in Fang, now has a smaller market cap than Disney, Adobe, Intel, a few others, no longer coming even close to the top 10 or even 15 largest companies on the Nasdaq by waiting. Uh, John, meanwhile, the big, the biggest of the fangs, <laughs> we need a new acronym, uh, have only become bigger. Apple, the one behind a lot of this changing landscape with the privacy changes, Alphabet benefiting directly. I know we've been saying this for years already, John, that we need a new acronym, but <laughs> after the last few months, especially earnings season, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I think we need no acronym. D, and, and that's where I kind of step back on this whole thing. Great setup. But, you know, when Jim Cramer came up with Fang nine years ago, it wasn't about big market cap. It was about dominance in their particular area uh, and growth potential. And that was Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. And at the time, Netflix's market cap, I believe, was under $25 billion. So now, yes, uh, Facebook Meta has had a bit of a fall, but it's still 600 billion in market cap, nearly three Adobe's, three Oracle's, three Salesforce's, three Qualcomm's, four Intuit's. It's still huge, but there are other things that are big also. And so I think investors have got to think about, are, are you are you into this whole regulatory market dominance narrative that talks about big tech? I think there are more people out of Washington, Carl, saying big tech now. Or are you focused on who's got growth potential? Who's got dominance technologically in their particular area? Uh, I'm not sure there's, there's just one acronym for that. Unless you want to go Mount SAS. That's long. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe now, you know, maybe now, D, it's a function of who's got cash or whose balance sheet is the most pristine right. in an era in which corporate credit spreads are going to increasingly come under focus uh, as the Fed tries to make this pivot. Yeah, they've been called increasingly so-called the value plays in tech, right? These cash-rich companies with big balance sheets. Uh, but, John, to your point, I wonder if you think that means that sort of the era of us talking about big tech is changing. What kind of regulatory implications that has, right? Because they used to be so well 
I guess, laid out, right? We knew what their dominance was in certain markets. Um, but then how do you deal with an Apple and an Alphabet that are so dominant in their fields? Well, I was just listening back to uh, a piece of my conversation with Andy Jassy from back in the fall, and he says he doesn't like that big tech moniker. And I was thinking, well, well he wouldn't. Why, why not, right? Because it's most often, again, coming out of Washington as an attack. So, you know, sh- should we talk about big tech? How about we talk about platforms? What's a platform play versus not. How about we talk about data, right? Who's really doing the smartest things with data when we when we talk about identity in Okta or we talk about uh, data management with Snowflake? I think we've got to get deeper into the fundamental stories of what these companies do, uh, how they're retaining customers, how they're able to grow that customer base, Carl, versus just talking about who's big. Yeah. Well, Kramer's back next week, guys, and he's awfully good at coming up with these acronyms, <laughs> depending on the basket or screen that you want to develop, D. So maybe we can get him on the case. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to do that, Carl. I think we just threw out a, too, too many. He'll have a whole sentence this time, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stick with no acronyms, at least for the, for the time being, Carl. <laughs> Okay. Guys, let's turn back to the big game this weekend. The NFL's regular season ratings for television and digital up 10% year on year. That's the best since 2015, according to data from Nielsen. Brings an average of 17.1 million viewers a game. Our Julia Borston's here on set to talk about sort of where we've been around the block on what was going to happen to ratings for the league. I mean, but that's why football is the most valuable content and television when it comes to advertising dollars. I mean, we're seeing ads for this game sell for as much as $7 million for a 30-second spot. Some advertisers are spending $6.5 million, but we're talking as much as $7 million, up dramatically from the previous record, which was closer to $5.5 million. And I think what we've really seen is that as Netflix and other on-demand streaming services have grown their audience, when it comes to live TV, nothing is more valuable than sports. I think people are expecting as much as 117 million viewers to tune in to the game on Sunday. That would be an all-time record. So it makes those ads really valuable. And also, we're talking about them now. Yeah, it's true. We were just mentioning the the Amazon ad during the break. Walk us through sort of uh, who pays what for the rights and how Amazon is changing that equation over time. Oh, in terms of the media rights. Now, we're going to be talking about this with Brian Rolab from the NFL coming up later in the show. But it's interesting because there are are three sets of rights currently up for grabs that are being negotiated over and that means that they could be either bought in, in you know individually or packaged together so there's sunday ticket um and i asked bob chapek ceo of disney if he was interested he said they had bid for sunday ticket they're very much interested in it they're the media there's the media partnership and then there's also the mobile streaming rights so all three of those rights could be purchased by a tech giant or by the likes of an ESPN for Disney. I noticed one of you know, the Super Bowl week, it's usually a flurry of press releases, but one that got through to me was the NFL developing some metaverse products. In this case, it was a conjunction with Roblox. Yes, a, a metaverse <laughs> partnership between the NFL and Roblox. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot about the metaverse in the Super Bowl ads. Meta, formerly known as Facebook, did buy an ad. We, we've heard a little bit about that spot. And we'll see how many other of these brands really buy into the metaverse. But we also know that there's a Salesforce ad that's making fun of the metaverse. So I think metaverse is going to be one of those undercurrents, one of those themes, some of them leaning more into it than others. John, John I got to bring you on this, man, because this is going to drive you crazy. I, I am looking forward to the Salesforce ad. No, I mean, I, I, think, I think there's plenty of action in this area, in part because there's so much money 
sloshing around, so much crypto money looking for a place to go. I mean, we were just talking yesterday to the Binance guy buying into Forbes and who knows what else. He openly said, oh, I'm looking at gaming. I'm looking, looking to put this money all over the place. Well, some people are putting it into Super Bowl ads, too. And that should be a warning sign for a lot of people, because I remember yeah. a Super Bowl 20, 25 years ago, Pets.com, there's a lot of dot-com money sloshing around. Um, <laughs> now, right? now there's going to be a lot of crypto money, right? We're, Julia, we're expecting a lot of uh, spots from the newest crypto players. And back to that conversation we had with CZ, the Binance CEO, yesterday, you know, it's not just money that they're making from transaction costs, but he actually said that some of the platforms, he didn't specify which ones, are making more from the spread as well, which is why they have so much cash that we can't really see where they're getting it from to be able to put into these advertisements, Julia. We're going to see a lot of them, though, right? We even have stadiums after crypto players. We are. In fact, the Crypto.com arena is not too far from us here in Los Angeles. Crypto.com is one of the three uh, crypto advertisers that's going to be spending big on these spots in, in, the, in the big game. And I have to say, John, you know, it's not just about the, the risk of this being a bubble or the sign that all these crypto players are jumping in, meaning it's a top. But this is really an opportunity for them to regrow their reach and also fight for market share. This is a really key opportunity to, to, to reach the broadest audience you ever can get in terms of advertising, especially some of those younger viewers um, who are especially hard to reach with TV ads. They're going to be watching on Sunday. So it doesn't always turn out like a Pets.com situation. No. Some yeah. of these companies I, I, like WebMD will stick around. Julia, I'm with you. But at the same time, we're talking about metaverse and football. I mean, we've had Madden for a long time, right? You want to talk about a virtual world mm -hmm. where you interact with it? I mean, come on, right? Like multiplayer Madden. Like for, for, <laughs> for things like this, it already exists, has existed for a long time. The players participate in it. You know, it's streamed on Twitch. This is this part isn't complicated, right? Well, no, I mean, but yeah, they, they already have Madden, but now they get to reach an even younger audience with Roblox. They're going to bring all their NFL players into Roblox, and they might even get people to spend extra money mm. and, and hook a new generation of viewers. Right. You know, when I think about the uh, sort of the wheel, the carousel of controversies that everyone thinks are going to be existential, existential threats to the business, um, injuries, right, protesting Kaepernick, um, you obviously had uh, penalties, the, the, the clock, now it's diversity and, and the Flores suit. How do, you, how do they keep managing to come back and answering all of these concerns? I mean, I think it was interesting that we saw Goodell address those diversity issues, acknowledge that we have to do better and, and sort of addressing those issues head on. But I think the fact is, is that this is a sport that America cares about. And the fact that there have been so many competitive games this season, up dramatically, obviously from last year, but also years before, this is just an exciting sport to watch, and it's so rare to have something, especially if we talk about it from an advertising standpoint, that people need to watch in real time. And I also wouldn't underestimate the impact of the sports betting. That has really continued to drive interest in live sports. We were just, we were just talking yeah. with FanDuel last hour yeah. um, in that it drives – it drives a different kind of experience out of watching the game. Much more you interactive. The, the, end, the, the final score is maybe one of your ten biggest worries, right? Absolutely. I mean, this idea that people have skin in the game, even if it's not a team that they personally have a connection to, and that they want to watch every different moment of the game because they might have some financial upside. So I think that live sports is going to continue to drive value uh, for, for the league. And it's been interesting because this is, used to be something that 
all the sports leagues were so opposed to. And now you have not only the NFL embracing betting, but also the networks like ESPN. Right. Finally, I think I'm thinking back to that Needham note earlier in the week about Netflix, where Laura Martin said that one of the things they need to do is maybe get into sports or news. What do you think it is that holds back a company like Netflix or Apple with lots of capital to deploy from taking something on, even though it's expensive like this? We have seen Netflix invest in a lot of sports documentaries. That's been a big push they've made in the past year. But going with live sports and then also advertising, those are two totally foreign things that Netflix has never touched. Yeah, yet. At least that's what Laura Martin would say, Not that's yet. for sure. Uh, great chat. We can't wait for this weekend, uh, John. And uh, and we can't wait for the metaverse ads either. <laughs> you guys are all in California. He wants am I the, the only metaverse one? Ads. Am I the only one rooting for the Bengals? I went to college in the Midwest. My best friend's from Ohio. I worked in Lexington, Kentucky after college, which is part of that, right? Northern Northern Kentucky. I don't know. I'm, I must be the only one. All right. Affirm shares it, it, technically the home team. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Affirm shares are falling, but their results were up quite a bit. CEO Max Levchin is next. Don't go away. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Time now for a gut check on Datadog. The cloud platform reporting a big beat in its latest earnings and revenue of $326 million in Q4. That's up 84% year over year. The street liking what they see. KeyBank upgrading to overweight and setting a $210 price target, uh, raising their price target from 200 to 225 Shares are flat this morning, just up about one-third of a percent, John. While shares of Affirm continue to sink this morning after the company released quarterly results earlier than intended yesterday afternoon in a Twitter slip-up, the Buy Now Pay Later company posting a beat on revenue. It's a complicated forecast that is putting pressure on the stock. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is Affirm's CEO, Max Levchin. Max, good to see you. So um, this is complicated, but I'm hoping you can clear it up What's happening with the guidance as your user numbers ramp uh, considerably, transactions are ramping considerably, it, you're moving from being a little bit more Peloton-centric to more you know, Amazon, Walmart, Shopify, and you've got these interest-bearing loans where revenue is recognized differently. So give us the, the straight-ahead understanding of how that affects the guidance. That's exactly right. Uh, you, you basically summarized it for me. So different products that we sell to merchants have different profitability profiles and different recognition of revenue. More interest-bearing transactions take time to bring revenue. Um, transactions with 0% uh, 
APRs, of course, primarily get recognized on the spot. And as mix changes, as you pointed out, deconcentrating from some of our strengths in home fitness, which is by the way, still going really, really strong, you will see this mix change. And over time, it will of course normalize because ultimately the same dollars of revenue will come in. But mix is something that our investors have to understand pretty well. And uh, you, you'll, you'll see it play out very well over the next several quarters. So to clarify there, uh especially given Peloton, that was revenue at zero APR. You were recognizing all up front and it's big dollar revenue, right? Because these bikes are expensive and you're transitioning more towards smaller dollar transactions at very high volume, right? With customers who you're hoping are going to be loyal over time. But not only are the dollars smaller, even though the transactions are more, but those are going to be recognized over a longer period of time. Yeah, and you can actually see the numbers already. If you look back at the quarter we just reported, the active user base went up one and a half times. So it, it's enormous. And uh, the frequency of transactions went up at the same time. If you think of it, these are a huge number of new users we're adding. So they only really had a chance to transact just once. And yet the transaction per user number is also up. So you see frequency continue to happen. And so it will over time build. And of course, there's a massive network effect as we cross sell our merchants to our consumers. So over time, this accretes very, very significantly. But you're completely right. Revenue recognition of interest income stretches over multiple quarters, depending on the term that the consumer chooses, while a lot of the hope fitness that was so incredibly popular during the pandemic is recognized on the spot. Hey, Max, good morning. It's Deirdre. Um, I know you've talked a lot about the Amazon partnership and how it will it has increased your GMV and future opportunities for other merchants. But can you clarify what it's doing to your take rate in terms of transactions and how much you may be having to give up there? You know, we've chosen not to break out the exact economics per partner. Obviously, these are sensitive commercial terms. Um, we're very, very happy with the deal that uh, we were able to negotiate with all of our partners and uh, Obviously, if you look at uh, Amazon transactions today, there's not a whole lot of 0% transactions taking place there. The whole point of our business is that both the merchant and the consumer side pay something. Right. Different merchants, different deals shift that cost from one to the other. And so you'll see us introduce new products across all of our partners where the mix will change all the time. Okay, then without breaking it out specifically, can you talk about sort of some of the trends there? Because your exclusive deal with Amazon ends in 2023. So what is the trajectory? Can you increase that take rate? How are you thinking about competition when it comes in? And how are you bringing users outside of that Amazon ecosystem so you can do things like cross-sell like you talked about? Well, Amazon is certainly an enormously important partner, but it's also the newest enterprise partner we have. So we have a very, very large, very successful partnership with Walmart that we've had for years, and it's continuing continue to grow and, and bear lots of fruit. So we have a lot of experience and a lot to show for, I'd like to say, in terms of scaling a partnership with our enterprise partners, even more so with our friends in Ottawa at Shopify, where we have been building a lot of new products together. And so. We're quite good at scaling these partnerships, and uh, I'm, I'm very, very confident over time we'll, we'll be able to introduce more products. Um, the overall sort of strength of the business ultimately is in the relationship with the consumer. Payment networks live and die by their net promoter score and the consumer's propensity to choose it. The number of active consumers and the increase in transactions per user is kind of your big indicator for how good we feel about the business. Like We will continue to see more transactions. We will continue to see more consumers. 
Hey, Max, uh, delinquencies uh, still below fiscal 19, but the street's obviously asking a lot of questions about how credit metrics may worsen. It sounds like you're building in um, a fair amount of rate hikes here, maybe, what, 180 basis points? Exactly. So we forecast and we run the business with a fairly conservative outlook for both credit and rate hikes. Uh, our models are all built around the idea that the Fed will take you know, fairly decisive action around the rates, as I think the market has uh, now decided that they will. So I'm not overly concerned there at all. On the delinquency side of things, we choose the delinquency rates we want. We ran our last year, last calendar year, very, very conservatively as we were trying to figure out exactly what the government will and will not do in terms of stimulus, in terms of dealing with the pandemic. You saw our, we disclosed our rates from the prior two years. You can see that they were quite a bit higher. We made a decision and said it to the market uh, last quarter, I believe, that we're going to loosen our approvals a little bit to encourage growth. Uh, we are still very much in control of those numbers. We'll bring it to the goal that we want and keep it there. And if the market conditions do change in terms of macroeconomic ability to repay, we will tighten. So that, that's all going extremely according to plan. Uh, Max, finally, a little bit more on interest rates. Explain, if you will, how rising rates affect your cost of doing business and then strategically the, the impact uh, on a firm's savings and what types of either funnels or, or customer interest you expect on that end and what that will do for the business. So interest rates are probably one of the more misunderstood parts of our business. So. From the consumer point of view, again, we fundamentally serve two constituents. The merchant side is really, really, truly important to us. But the consumer decides whether they're going to take their a firm out of the proverbial wallet or not. When they look at us, especially at a 0% deal from a firm, no late fees, no deferred interest, no gimmicks, compare that to their rising credit card rate, a firm looks that much better. So in a rising rate... Ah. Really looking forward to the rest of that answer. Uh, hopefully I can get it. And, and oh, here you are, Max. Uh, you, you were talking uh, about the, how a firm looks better, especially at 0% APR in a rising rate environment. And then you froze. That, that, that work from home uh, gets you every time. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think the broadband gods. Um, so in a rising rate environment, consumers use a firm more often because we are that much more compelling than revolving credit accounts, than credit cards, et cetera. So on the consumer side, as much as I dislike rising prices, we serve a more important purpose to consumers. It will be just great in terms of consumer demand. On the funding side of things, we have a vast, diverse collection of funding partnerships that we've established over a very long time. Sometimes we are able to lock in rates for a long time. Other times we're able to float it. And so we are managing that number just fine and have planned for rate hikes. Moreover, just to sort of give you proof point, we ran this business really, really well a couple of years ago or five years ago when the rates were where we are contemplating that we'll, they will come back to. So we're going to be just fine on the cost of funding side as well. And we plan to keep up with your progress um, <laughs> as the whole economy goes through it. Max Levchin, founder and CEO of Affirm. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of fintech, B of A upgrading a different name to buy this morning. Jack Dorsey's block. We'll find out why they say the stock could rally 70%. You can see that at cnbc.com slash pro. Meantime, lots more ahead here from SoFi Stadium as we count down to Sunday. Sports betting, media rights, ad sales, and more. Stay with us. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? 
generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort and Julia Borston. Markets here uh, ending the week on a, a bit of a tepid note. Uh, Dow's hanging on to a 40-point gain. S&P just marginally down. We are live from SoFi Stadium talking media rights, ad deals, and a lot more with the NFL's chief media and business officer in just a moment. First, though, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Let's begin with consumer sentiment falling to a more than 10-year low this month. Concerns about inflation helped push the University of Michigan's index down to 61.7 from January 67.2. Economists had expected an increase. Despite some expectations for a dramatic half-point rate hike, the Federal Reserve will probably take a more measured approach, at least to start. CNBC's Steve Leisman reporting that several Fed officials are saying publicly and privately that they do not agree with the call from St. Louis Fed President James Bullard for a big hike at the meeting next month. Goldman Sachs, meantime, now expects seven rate hikes this year of a quarter point. That is a rate hike for every Fed meeting remaining in 2022. The firm's economists say that inflation should moderate this year, but of course the timing is uncertain. And the Senate Banking Committee will vote next Tuesday on several Fed nominations, including the reappointment of Chair Jerome Powell. Here now today, Julia, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Rahel. We're here live in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles ahead of Super Bowl 56. And joining us now is the NFL's chief media and business officer, Brian Rollout. Brian, thanks so much for being with us here on this beautiful day um, ahead of the big game. Now, I know ratings are expected to be sky high, 117 million viewers expected. But I think it's important to acknowledge that streaming is an increasingly important piece of your business. People are going to be able to watch the game on Peacock and various other places um, on mobile devices and streaming is also a big piece of the media deals you just did how important do you think that's going to be for viewership numbers well julia thanks for having me today it's great to be here i think uh streaming is extremely important when we did our recent media deals which we've talked about before making sure that our partners had the rights to drive streaming was not only important for us because essentially we're a sport based on reach we want to reach as many people as we can and clearly you need streaming to do that but also we want our partners to actually be extremely successful as they shift their business. So Peacock is an example where it's obviously an em- emphasis of NBC Universal and then being able to actually have our rights to push that is not only in our best interest, but their best interest. So you have three sets of media rights deals that are up for grabs, including Sunday Ticket, which Disney CEO Bob Tapex said they were very much interested in securing. Where do those negotiations stand now and how likely is it that a big tech company swoops in? Well, we're having lots of conversations. You can imagine the quality of our content, the success we've enjoyed over the last few years, 
there's been lots of interest, but both from traditional companies and tech companies. Um, and it's not just about Sunday Ticket. Um, we're looking for strategic partners for our owned and operated assets, which include the NFL Network and the Red Zone Channel. Um, we're talking about some pretty interesting partnerships with NFL Films, so we can increase the NFL Films' presence on streaming platforms. Uh, we also have our mobile rights, um, which when we just redid our Verizon deal, we held back our mobile in-market game rights. So there's a lots of rights that we actually have that we're thinking about long term. So just because we did our main deals doesn't mean we don't have a lot of work to do. You know, one thing that's really been evident in the postseason has been just the quality of the play. Yeah. I, I think it was Rich Greenfield said the best commercial for the NFL these days is the NFL. And I wonder, is the league looking at how, how deep some of the coaching staffs have become uh, and the the way in which there's very little edge, you end up going into overtime a lot, and what that does uh, to viewership? Yeah, look, I think it all begins and ends with the product on the field. Uh, what I do in the media rights or what I do in the commercial deals doesn't matter if the product isn't good. And I think you've seen that on display this year. I mean, we've had some of the closest games we've ever had. Uh, the divisional round and the championship round of the playoffs were evidence of that, where, we, and where the games were incredible, all of them. And it was our best uh, regular season and postseason since 2015 in an era where fewer and fewer people are watching television. The fact that we're up that much is pretty significant. But again, it's the parity of the teams. Anybody could win on any given Sunday. And it's the fact that it's so competitive is where all of our strength is derived, in my opinion. I'm, I'm curious how much you think the rise of sports betting has also driven ratings. And curious also what you plan to do going forward to further integrate sports betting into the viewing experience. Yeah, I, I think sports betting long-term for us is really about increasing engagement. I mean, we have 190 million fans in this country. From a business standpoint, getting those 190 million people to watch one more game or watch one more week is a lot easier than growing 190 to 290 million. I think sports betting is gonna be one of those ways we do that. As far as the short term, we have not seen a huge increase yet in ratings because of, uh, because of sports betting. Um, but now we're at this inflection point where over half of the country now has access to sports betting. I think you might see that going forward. You know, it hasn't really been that long where not having a game because of COVID was a problem. Yeah. And we all remembered uh, just how we were trying to refine our protocols. It seems like you've really ironed out a lot. I think 95% of players, 100% of staff at this yep. point. Yep. What, 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 more, what more is to be done, and how much does that benefit the league if, if a future variant comes along? Look, I think what we went through in 2020 to play a full season, not miss a game. Now, sometimes we played on Wednesdays, sometimes we played on Tuesdays in weird parts of the week, but we didn't miss a game. We had the regular season, the postseason. The learnings we did in that about testing, about protocols, about um, the power of vaccine and boosters, I think make us stronger going forward. Uh, and we are figuring out along the way, like everybody else, we have fabulous medical advisors. I think we were extremely prepared for anything that happened in 2021. And you saw the success of keeping all these games on the field. I think what we did in 20 really informed 21, and here we are. So I think going forward, we're a lot smarter when it comes. Hopefully we don't have another pandemic, but if we do, we're ready. Uh, I have to ask about this Brian Flores lawsuit and the mm -hmm. allegations of discrimination. I know the commissioner has addressed these issues, but I'm curious, as you continue to address these issues, what it's going to mean in terms of what the viewers see, what the fans see, uh, bo both in the stadium and also when they're watching from home? Well, I mean, I think we're clear when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion. In all of my time in the league, I've been here a long time, I, I, we haven't had a league meeting or an owner's discussion where this hasn't been top of the agenda. But we clearly had a ton of work to do. I mean, the outcome that we have with as few head coaches as we have of color is not acceptable, and we said that. Um, and we have to keep trying and keep working. 
I think as far as what players will or uh, fans will see, I think you know you'll, you'll see us support a lot of the diversity, equity, inclusion efforts that we've had. We've we've made commitments both financially and otherwise, and you'll see that um, not only on the field but other places. But really, for us, it's less about what you see and more about the work we do. And we've got a ton of work to do, and we're going to keep at it. Well, I, I, before we close out here, I want to ask about bringing the NFL into the next dimension yeah. <laughs> with bringing the NFL into the metaverse. You just announced a partnership with Roblox. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to bring the NFL into the metaverse? And what do you have planned, especially when it comes to things like NFTs? I know we've seen the success of NFTs with the NBA in particular. Yeah, so we, yeah, the metaverse is fascinating to us. And really what it is at its core for us is about how these NFL fans translate their passion in this world into a more digital world. And we've taken steps already on this. I mean, we've, um, you know, we've been licensing skins in Fortnite for years, um, Madden Ultimate Team, which is probably the most popular part of our video games. But just recently, you've seen some more uh, concrete steps. We have a relationship with Dapper Labs, um, where we'll do NFTs around video highlights. Uh, you've seen our announcement with Roblox. When you look at Roblox as a platform, I think this week, um, most of half of the country under the age of 16 will engage in Roblox in some shape or form this week. And the fact that we now have an NFL virtual experience there is important. So I think you will see us step more aggressively into this. It's early. It's Internet 1995. So we'll, we'll be smart. We'll, we'll pick partners. It will change a million times. But I think we're pretty focused on how you take this passion to give our fans similar experience in a digital world on their terms, which I think is the most exciting part about blockchain technology, where may not be the platforms to control their data and their experience, it'll be the user, and that's pretty empowering. Um, I also think blockchain, you'll see us do more aggressively on ticketing. Uh, blockchain allows us to actually have not only the primary ticketing market, but the secondary ticketing market over time. I think we're really excited about that. So you'll see us get more aggressive, but I think if anyone tells you they know how it's going to work out, they're lying to you. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out along with everybody else. Well, Metaverse, streaming, uh, and very exciting season. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian Rollout. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, insightful interview. Now, now, meanwhile, Bitcoin down by almost a third since November, up quite a bit lately, though. And NFL players have been among the celebrities jumping into the space. That story's coming up. Stay with us. Take a look. Zillow shares popping this morning, up 16.5% after some positive results. We will break down the numbers with CEO Rich Barton next. Don't go away. Let's turn now to Zillow. Shares are soaring this morning after beating the street in their latest results, revenue hitting nearly $3.9 billion despite posting more than $880 million loss on the year from its now-closed home-flipping business and setting out long-term targets for 2025, including achieving annual revenue of $5 billion. Joining us exclusively, Zillow co-founder and CEO Rich Barton. Rich, good morning, and it's great to have you. I got to start with these long-term targets, and I just wonder, does this shift in strategy you know, at the end of the day, reduce the long-term market opportunity for you. You essentially go from an iBuying business, which is a market maker, to now getting a portion of transactions. Uh, hey, Deirdre, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, we took, about four months ago, we took the uh, a difficult but great decision to sunset, to wind down our uh, home flipping operation, as it was just too volatile and too risky for our shareholders and our business and ultimately serve too few customers. And the volatility you're seeing in our earnings today actually just supports 
the um, you know that that was a great decision. It's just it's just it throws this huge blanket over our PL, over our gap earnings, and it's hard to figure out what's going on uh, in the business itself. But what is emerging from the fog? We are emerging from the fog now, and I think what investors are seeing now is a is a sleek ironclad cruiser that is kind of beginning to steam out of the fog and has a lot of blue ocean ahead of it. We made we did make some news as you pointed out today by putting a stake in the ground for 2025 numbers saying we 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 plan to grow and we expect to grow to 5 billion in revenues and 45% profit margins and that is supported by the growth we have seen and the growth we are reporting today in the core business which generated 853 million dollars in EBITDA in 2021, up 3.5x from three years ago. Uh, so the company's got a strong balance sheet, is in good shape, and is set for the next phase, which is the housing super app. Rich, I'm wondering if you can put a number on that blue ocean that you are heading towards. You did so a few years ago when you talked about the opportunity in the iBuying business. You said that the TAM was $1.9 trillion in a presentation. What does the TAM look like for what you're trying to do now? Take a piece of transactions. Yeah, the the overall TAM of the the housing market is the giant is a giant industry, perhaps the largest in the country. And that two trillion dollars of TAM is simply the transaction value of all homes that are exchanged uh, every year. Last year it was six point one million homes, and over over tri- two trillion dollars in TAM. That is ultimately the source of our opportunity. Um, you know, now that we are not a primary. We're not in the home flipping business ourselves. We're kind of looking at what what fees uh, are, are generated off the exchange of all those homes in the form of real estate in industry commissions, in mortgage fees and commissions, in appraisals and moving and closing and title and escrow. And that is what we see as our primary TAM now. And that is about $300 billion a year. Uh, we are set up as as the leader, the go-to, the biggest brand in real estate for consumers. We get 4 million daily app users on our app, which is probably, you know, three times the size of the nearest competitor. We have, we are in a position to, to turn those users into customers. And that is what our vision is going forward with the Housing Super app. Right, right. Rich, given what's happening with relatively low inventory high prices, difficult to to get into the market with uh, starter homes these days. I'm surprised your rental business uh, doesn't have more momentum, more traction. Can can you tell me how you're thinking about the uh, market overall and how it's going to develop over the next even five years um, and, and the degree to which Zillow is going to be a software and platform provider to the whole real estate industry, including landlords, and to the extent that you're really looking to, to focus on sale transactions? I mean, our rental business is really strong. We are, it is, it is strong, but nascent. And the macro setup for rentals right now, John, as you point out, is, is kind of difficult. Rents are soaring, vacancies are low, uh, not a lot of money being spent by landlords on marketing. Uh, their empty rentals because they really don't have many empty rentals. And that is our primary business model there. But we have made a really great kind of Zillow 2.0, what we call moving towards the transaction investment in rentals. We have digitized and, and automated applications. We have all these landlord tools where they can actually collect rent. 
using uh, the, their, their Zillow Rental Manager app. Um, we are setting up, uh, we think we're setting up really nicely to be the place to go for both renters and landlords, bringing the two of them together in a really seamless, easy way. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great seed that we planted 10 right. years ago uh, so in how, the rental space, and it is, it is coming to fruition now. How do you accelerate that? What are the investments in people or even M&A that you need to make to make that happen? Well, we have a terrific team, so it's not like we, we, we of course, look at everything all, all the time, but we have a terrific team going after the rental business, and we see rental as kind of the first stage towards home ownership. It is kind of the first stop in our housing super app, app diagram. We put out some uh, an investor deck yesterday, you know, when we made, made, made a little news with our 2025 targets, and you'll, you can see, if, if you look at the investor deck on our IR website, you can see the first step along the way uh, is actually uh, rentals. So it's a great opportunity in and of itself, but we see we want to have a lifetime relationship with our customers who already trust us. They already depend on us. They already know our brand. Uh, and connecting these up in a, in a lifetime of services we offer is what our goal is. Rich, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Rich Barton. Thanks. More Tech Check is still ahead. Don't go away. We're back in two. NFL athletes cashing in on crypto, and that includes sponsorship deals, even some taking their salary in Bitcoin. Despite massive volatility in that space, Bitcoin has lost a third of its value since the November high. Jane Wells back with us here at SoFi Stadium with that story, Jane. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, these guys are all over digital everything from current players to Hall of Famers. The richest people in the world, they are talking about it and they are talking about having a certain portion of their portfolio um, to reflect that. Are you? Yes. Can I ask which currency? No. <laughs> Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers told me he took about a quarter million dollars worth of his salary this year in Solana coin, and he admitted it's lost about half its value. But he's on for the long haul. He's also looking into real estate in the metaverse. Anything you see right here, right now in this, in the world, is you you'll be able to get it in the metaverse. So, in, in a way, you own real estate that you can never touch. It's weird. Now, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Hopkins of the Cardinals is mostly investing in real world real estate, but he wants to get into NFTs because they allow him to profit from his likeness. So it's hard for us as NFL players to kind of be part of those things because our likeness is, you know, it's, it's the NFL, NFLPA. So they get a percentage out of each thing. So we always try to, you know, find ways around that. Finally, Joe Montana's venture fund has seeded about two dozen unicorns. He's interested in crypto and sports betting and online games. And he says one thing could be better. I think one of the hardest things for me is like fantasy is big, but I don't have the time to sit down and watch who gets hurt and who's playing, uh, have to substitute and do all that. Uh, okay, the most interesting thing I heard from him, uh, he doesn't watch a lot of football on Sundays. Joe Montana says, no, I'm a doer, not a spectator. <laughs> okay, color me skeptical. I think overall, though, it's kind of encouraging to see them get more sophisticated about sort of their own future cash flow, what that's going to mean to them personally and to whatever business they want to grow. It, think? it really is interesting, and they've all told me they're educating themselves, they've made a few mistakes, but they think digital here is for the long haul, uh, and they don't want to blow it. 
I'll tell you one thing. Um, DeAndre Hopkins told me the worst mistake he made was investing in something because someone else told him to do it and he didn't do his homework. He made that mistake once. It was in a juicing company. It's never happened again. He actually negotiated his own contract. It's a new generation of players. Yes, and, and learning from the mistakes maybe that some of the older generations made yes. with their money. It's a, great, it's a great angle on the sport today, especially on a day like this, oh, James. Yeah. Good to see you. Jane Thank Wells. You. Meantime, if you enjoyed looking at the business of the NFL, don't miss the big game itself, of course, here at SoFi Stadium on Sunday. Coverage begins 12 p.m. Eastern on both NBC and Peacock. Don't go away. One more thing before we go. Yeah, a lot of eyes are going to be focused on the Super Bowl this Sunday. But what about after that? Well, it's a big week of tech results. Airbnb and Roblox reporting Tuesday, Shopify Wednesday, Cisco, NVIDIA, Dropbox, and more to close out the week. D, I'm going to be looking at Roblox versus Airbnb, the metaverse Ooh. versus the universe. Uh, <laughs> Roblox is trading right around where it was when it started trading a few months ago. Airbnb is actually a little bit beneath its March 2020 level, I believe. So uh, I don't know. We'll see which does better. You get to guess that Chesky has a metaverse strategy somehow. Uh, we still have a lot of software names to come, especially some from the art complex, right, which follows sort of where growth is going. But uh, given that we do, we did have two bright spots this week, Twilio and Datadog. Um, those shares came up. <laughs> Quite the meme here, um, which probably sums up John next week. Um, but to that point, Twilio and Datadog reported this week better than expected results. Mizuho says that that may be a reminder that there's still value here. There's fundamentals, and that could bring greater confidence to the small and mid-cap growth sector. Uh, yes, indeed, that'll be. But does Brian Chesky really want to have a metaverse? Right? Do you want to rent out somebody's <laughs> house in the metaverse? I don't. I don't we'll know how that works. him. Would. But but don't don't forget oh, he's talked crypto in the past yeah. and uh, who did he just add he kind added of. someone to the board on that note we'll too. leave it there. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.